So what we're going to do is today we're going to talk about um, Mark 7. So if you guys want to be turning there, uh, we read out of the KJV. That way we can all have, uh, we can all be singing from the same hymn book. And you can be turning to Mark 7. And I think just a a little bit of a reminder, because again, we kind of jump into Mark and then we've been going into Exodus. But uh, Mark is one of the four Gospels, and what we've been seeing is that Jesus, the anointed Son of God, has been ministering in Israel, and God has been confirming his teachings and his authority through miracles. I know you guys are very familiar with this. Uh, Just a couple of things that stand out to me, the, the... Israel's leaders, a lot of, like the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're like getting jealous and actually getting to the point where they're already <laughs> scheming early on in the book of how they might destroy Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus is just like his ministry is just getting started at this point. And they actually get to the point where they're saying that Jesus is ministering out of the power of Satan. And in doing this, they're actually rejecting the Holy Ghost. I mean, God is sending his anointed prophet to to bring his word, to bring revelation. And the Jewish leaders are spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and they're actually rejecting it. They're pushing it away. It's like God's word is an abomination to them. And so uh, what we saw last week, or the last time we taught on, uh, last time we in Mark 6, was Jesus had continue to do miracles, but he also uh, called 12 disciples and sent them out as apostles. And they started, actually, we saw ministry multiplied. They were, they were healing and casting out demons. But then we saw them come back and they were still struggling to understand some of what Jesus was saying and doing. And it even called out that the apostles, their hearts were hardened at one point. So that's where we're picking back up. And we're going to be in Mark 7, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. Um, Lord, I do ask that as we dive into your word, Mark 7, that uh, you would reveal your heart to us, Lord. And uh, God, there's so much uh, noise, and, and there's so much in the news right now, and it's really hard to know how to interpret some of these things. And I pray that your word would illuminate our path. And uh, just give us a uh, solid ground to stand on. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I feel like i got to talk about uh, current events. And I am not the expert in like world history or religious studies. But this is more or less a, a pretty uh, straightforward map of modern-day Israel and some of the surrounding regions. So, you know, there's a war going on right now. And uh, you're, it's really taking place at that southwest or kind of that western region of Israel. And you see that little piece of land, Gaza. And there's Palestinians that live in Gaza. So they would be Gentiles from a biblical standpoint. And, uh, and I'm not going to get into all the, all, the, the, all the bullet points of what's been happening in the war. But just recognizing that right now, Israel... Uh, is going to war um, against uh, Hamas, and uh, and they are 
in the northern Gaza region right now. So that can orient you a little bit. Now, this is a map of uh, when Jesus was ministering. Okay, so this is kind of a zoomed out view. But I wanted to just get a little perspective because it's, you know, when we read uh, that Jesus went to Sea of Galilee and then he went to Decapolis, it's kind of hard to really visualize or really kind of understand where that is because a lot of us aren't from there. But um, just to kind of show you, uh, Jerusalem would be down here by the Dead Sea. So Jerusalem is down there. Where we've been reading and where Jesus has been ministering is up in the, in the Galilee region. This little body of water right there is called the Sea of Galilee. So from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, I just kind of measured it with like the map in my Bible and kind of estimated, but somewhere between like 30 miles and 45 so it's not, you know, it's not, it's, it's a pretty long uh, walk or ride on your donkey. Um, it's, this isn't just like a, you know, um, a two-hour drive uh, to, or three-hour drive to St. Louis. This is, this is significant distance. So Jesus has been ministering in the Galilean region. And, what, and this is just a zoomed-in view of, of Galilee. What we're going to see is that um, in Mark 7... Jesus actually starts leaving Galilee, and he's going to go up to the northwest region of Phoenicia to uh, Tyre and Sidon, which this is Gentile region, okay? And then he's actually going to come down to Decapolis. And like, notice that distance. I mean, that's probably, again, I'm just estimating, but it's, it's, it's got to be greater than 20 miles that he's going down to Decapolis and going to be ministering to some Gentiles down there. And so what we're going to see in these, in these passage is a shift of Jesus strictly, for the most part, ministering to Jews. And we're actually going to see him start to minister to Gentiles. Now, I just felt like I needed to put this in here um, because we're Americans and we're, we're typically ethnocentric. And I think we have a Dallas Cowboys fan in the house. That would be Philip Murphy. So um, I just uh, found a map that had the state of Texas in the Middle East, so you can get a little perspective. I don't know if this is accurate, but I just felt like it might help a little bit to, you know, get, get into uh, your heads how, 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 uh, how the size and scale of this region. Okay, so let's start with Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. Israel rebuked. Then came together unto him the Pharisees. Now check this out. The Pharisees, they're coming down from Jerusalem. Okay, so this is like, again, this is an intentional trip. This wasn't like they stumbled upon Jesus in Galilee. They're like making an effort to get out there. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of the tables. Okay? So, are you guys tracking what's happening here? They want you to wash your hands before you eat. Okay? And and Jesus and his disciples have not been doing that. Verse 5. 
Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching of doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things like ye do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth, his father, curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now, just Corban, this thing, um, this, is, uh, this, this word is translated as gift, and it says it right in the text. But it's this idea that they could kind of like pledge or make a vow that their money would be given to God. And in some ways, it was kind of sanctioned from maybe taking care of the family or honoring the family in some way. So this is what this Corbin's all about. Verse 12. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his mother and his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which you have delivered. And money and many... Such like things do ye. Okay? So Jesus is publicly calling out the Pharisees in front of many people and some of the scribes. He's calling them publicly hypocrites. And then he's using scripture to show how they are using these traditions that have been passed down but aren't from the Word of God to actually get around having to obey the Word of God. So this is the first point, which is adhering to the traditions and commandments of men will nullify the word of God in your life. For you can only serve one master. All right. So your blank is one master. Now, uh, I was just kind of thinking about this. um, But, you know, sometimes in church, like we we come up with things like ministry principles, all right? And the key word is principles, right? One of those principles is about we're always developing leaders, all right? Because we're, we're called a disciple, right? But that can easily translate into what I would say is maybe a made-up law, which is you can't exit a ministry unless you've replaced yourself, okay? And so... I, you know, I've heard of situations where like somebody's like life's hitting them hard or they're like they're needing to get out of maybe a commitment that they've had in the past, like kid town or something. And then it's like, well, until you find a teacher and replace yourself, you shall not pass. You got Gandalf standing there, not letting them exit the door. No, not really. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, another one that I've heard, uh, if you have a kid, if you've had a kid. You've signed up for youth for youth ministry. If you've had a kid, you're automatically signed up for children's ministry. You should be serving in, in Kid Town. And I actually, you know, I kind of appreciate the, the sentiment behind that. But that's like, you know, to make that a letter of the law, um, imagine if Rosie 
spent all of her ministry effort in Kidtown instead of leading worship for the church and writing Christmas program and stuff like that. Is that the trade-off that, like, that we want? I mean, we're all blessed by Rosie being in worship ministry. Um, so this is something that, like, I think we have to be careful about. And <clears throat> we'll talk about this in a second, but Luke 16, 13 says this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And in this case, Jesus was talking about serving money versus serving God. But I think this applies as well to man's traditions, okay? Now, this is, uh, I actually found this on a website. This is how you identify money, right? Um, Like real money. And I've heard, it, I've heard this said anecdotally um, over the years, actually in church, that it's like, if you want to like, really understand counterfeit money, you don't study counterfeit money. You actually study the real thing, like over and over and over again. And it gets to the point that when counterfeit money comes in your path, it's like, dude, something's not right here. Uh, it's funny, this actually happened a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Fisher owed me money, and uh, he owed me 40 bucks, I think it was, and he gave me the $40, and uh, I'm like, cool, thank you. And then I'm like holding one of the dollar bills, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. And I like look at it, and uh, what did it say? It's like, in Hollywood we trust. <laughs> And it's like money, I think, that they use in movies, but, like, uh, but it looks a lot like a $20 bill, but it just didn't feel right. It, like, it didn't have you know, some of those, like, those little signatures that are part of our American money. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of an interesting situation just because I was like, well, do I get punished for you getting duped into like, you know, one of your friends gave you $20 that was fake? Um, but we worked it out, and uh, I think we both learned a great lesson from that. Trust no one. Um, no, 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 um, no, but I think, you know, um, you know there's tons of traditions. Uh, there's Christian culture. There's uh, family traditions. And it's easy, like, you could, I'm not advocating that you study those things out to figure it out, but it's like the best way to really slice through man-made traditions is really just to be anchored in the word of God so that when somebody's showing up and saying, hey, unless you wash your hands, you can't come into the house of God. You can't be right with God. You can be like, that doesn't quite seem right. Let me go back to the word of God and let's see what it says about this. First Thessalonians 5.21 says this, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Now, this continues, okay? So the Pharisees are rebuked by Jesus, and he's calling out their hypocrisy using the scriptures in the book of Isaiah. But then he goes on to say this, Mark 7, verses 14 through 23. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him 
those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so God's saying, or Jesus is saying here to the masses, hey, it's not what's coming, it's not what's coming into your mouth. It's not the food you eat that's going to defile you, but it's what's coming out. Now, keep in mind, from a Jewish standpoint, they had a law, and that law actually had commandments of certain things that they weren't supposed to eat, or they would be ceremonially unclean, okay? So this would have been, like, kind of confusing, okay? Now, let's continue here. Oh, I totally forgot to show you the verse. I'm sorry. Verse 17. And when he was entered into the house from the people... His disciples asked him concerning the parable. Now, it's interesting that Scripture is calling what Jesus just said a parable. And if you guys remember when we taught a couple of, I don't know, maybe it's two months ago, just about parables and how Jesus started using them, Jesus started teaching out of parables after the religious leaders rejected him and were calling his ministry powered by Satan. And so parables aren't just a means of trying to illustrate something to better make the point. Parables actually have a concealing factor to it that God uses as a mechanism. Those that have a hard heart and don't soften it, it actually reinforces their position. But those that have a soft heart and those that draw near to the Lord and say, Master, help me understand, like, what does this parable mean? God's actually going to open up and give new revelation. He's going to give deeper revelation. And so this is, this is the purpose of parables. And so here, just make note that Jesus kind of said this thing that's cryptic and maybe a little confusing to the Jews, and then the disciples are, are coming to him. And we need to, to make mental note of that when we don't understand something. When you hear something from the pulpit that doesn't quite make sense, it's very easy to quickly jump to judgment. But maybe the right thing to do is, is to talk to a pastor, talk to your Bible study leader, talk to somebody that you trust that's mature in the word and ask them, like, I'm having a hard time with this. Can you, like, can you show me where in scripture this makes sense or how to navigate this? So this is what he says. <clears throat> He says, verse 18, And he saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but unto his belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. I like how the scripture says that. It's very, it's very clean. Verse 20, and he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, we don't have time to marinate on that list of sins there, but I'll just call, call out that, like, you know, you might not relate to all those, but there's probably something there that might even be, like, in your heart right now. Um, I am often a fool. <laughs> I mean, that one, 
I'll just call out um, pride. Man, we think too highly of ourselves, right? These are the things, and, and, and these are symptoms of a defiled heart, of a, of a broken heart, um, of, of sin, right? So this is, this is the, the point uh, that I want us to anchor on, is that the defiled will mask their unbelief through trivial distractions. Okay, so think about, think about the Pharisees and what they're doing. They're like going up there with an agenda to prove Jesus and his disciples wrong, that they're defiled. And oh, they're like focused on the washing of hands. These are the guys that are plotting to kill Jesus, the Messiah. What has more weight, the murder of Messiah or clean hands before you eat some corn? All right. So the, the defiled will master unbelief through trivial distractions. But the heart of the matter is what comes out of a man. The heart of the matter is what comes out of the man. This word defiled, it actually shows up a number of times. I think it's like three or four times in that passage we just read. And it, this is in your notes. But this word defile, it means to make common, to make Levitically unclean, to render unhallowed, to profane. Okay? And it's interesting, the first mention of this word defile in um, the KJV you find it in Genesis 34.2, and it's when Shechem, the Hivite prince, so this, this non-Jew, this Gentile, um, he lays with Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah. I think he forced it, if you were to read the text and what happens. Um, and she becomes defiled, and, uh, meaning like she's not like pure to her people anymore. And, um, and it creates all kinds of havoc and, and problems. <clears throat> so, you know, the thing to just kind of like think about here, it's kind of, um, so this is a, a book called The Slide of Hand. I had no idea what Ledger Domain was. Ledger Domain? I had to look that up just, and it's pretty much magic. I don't think it's like demonic magic, but again, kind of that like, what, a lot of magic, like card tricks and, you know, the, the, the coins and stuff like that. Like one of, the, one of the mechanisms that makes it seem so magical is actually like the distraction. Like they're causing a distraction and they're having you look over here at, at the right hand and poof, the clicker's gone in the left. Um, I worked on that one for like an hour. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times um, those that are anchored in religion and traditions, in, in some ways, the things that they tend to focus on, the, the things that they seem to make a big deal, the color choice of the carpet in Kid Town. Or, you know, whatever, the, the, the walls, like what they chose to paint the walls and things like that. It's like when you start digging into things, it's like there's weightier matters happening in their heart that have nothing to do with these superficial things, these arbitrary things. And you guys, this can go so many ways. Like we get, we get bent over backwards about like, you know, should kids be homeschooled, go to public school and be evangelists or you know, they should probably be homeschooled to protect them from the world. And it's like, we get bent out of shape over these things. But it's like, man, when you're walking with the Lord, God can be in each of those scenarios. 
you know? God can be with our children in both of those scenarios. So that's just some examples. But um, this, is, uh, this is, actually, we'll go back here. So Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus says this. He says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening fool- wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So let's not be so much focused on the superficial things, but what are the outputs or what are the outcomes coming out of somebody's life? What's that fruit? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it patience and joy and love and kindness? and Or is it irritability and anger and wrath and um and man we have to be we have to be mindful of those things in our own lives the uh the the heart of the matter i think when i think about this passage is uh holiness and i want to read you guys this is from leviticus 11 i'm just going to read a little excerpt it's not on the powerpoint but with the law, this is what God was about, okay? There were laws for the Jews, and they needed to follow these things. Um, and these things aren't vo- like, weren't void for them. But this is what the Lord said when he was giving commandments about not eating creeping things, for instance, okay? Creeping things, I don't know, like centipedes? Don't eat centipedes? All right, it's, he said this, For I am the Lord your God, Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And here it is. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The Lord was setting apart his people from what was in Egypt. And, you know, they got delivered out of Egypt. They got delivered out of slavery in Egypt. The Lord delivered them from that. But there was, that's, that's a picture of salvation. But then there was a the second component to what God wanted to do in the children of Israel. And that was to sanctify them. That was to get Egypt out of their heart. And if you guys recall, when they were in the wilderness and resisting what the Lord was doing in their heart, Man, they were, they were longing for the leeks and the food in Egypt they, like versus this manna, this heavenly provided bread. And it's like they, Egypt needed to get purged out of their hearts. They got pulled out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in their hearts and the Lord wanted to purge them. So God was calling them to holiness. And in the same way, we can be saved from sin and death Okay, but we can still have the world in our hearts. We can still want the things of the world. And uh, this is a, this is a, just like a little slide from. There's a book called The Little Book of Talent: Fifty Two Tips for Improving Your Skills. Okay, it, I would highly recommend it. Um, it's just a delightful, easy read. Every chapter is one page, which is like my favorite book. Um, <laughs> And uh, you can see here that, like, uh, he basically did a study 
of like how are like how is it that like a, there's a pool of talent like why is it in Nashville like this hot pocket of musicians or why in this city in Russia do like professional tennis players just keep on coming out like why is it that in these locations and he started studying and extracting like t like principles and tips and so his first one is like uh, in getting started stare at who you want to become like steal what they do and be willing to, to, to look stupid, okay? And the one that I want to hone in on is just stare at who you want to become. Stare at who you want to become. And it's like, if you want to be holy, where does that holiness come from? Like, you got to sit at the feet of Jesus. You got to sit at the feet of Jesus. You know, this is a picture of Mary. Um, not crazy about this, like, image of Jesus. He just seems too, like, I don't know. Too, too untouchable. I don't know. But, but, you know, the picture here is that Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus while he's teaching in their house. What a moment. And her sister, Martha, is in the background. You can kind of see her just kind of tucked away, just like making sure that all the logistics are taken care of. And she kind of complains that Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, I'm not going to take this thing away from Mary. Like, she has chosen the right thing to do. And so, you know, we need to not be, like, hung up on these superficial things. But, like, to be holy, we need to stare at the Lord. We need to draw near to him. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfulness. So these are just some steps to a clean heart. Seek the, seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Humble yourself. Listen to this, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. Okay, so like the defiled heart, right? It's like you don't get out of defilement by like not being like by not sinning, right? By like just staying away from things. But it's actually drawing near to the Lord, humbling yourself. The third step, walking in the Spirit. Ephesians 4.24 says this, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So when we walk in the Spirit, we're putting on that new man in Christ. And then the fourth one, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8.13, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So we got to walk in the Spirit before we mortify the deeds of the flesh. So again, you know, why, like, why am I saying these things? Because like in the Old Testament, as we're transitioning, as Jesus is ministering and we're transitioning and getting close to that new covenant starting, <laughs> Jesus is pointing to what the, the, the true matters of the heart. And it's not about not washing your hands or eating something because those things just kind of pass through. Those germs pass through. Those creepy things pass through. But 
what really marks a person as defiled is what's coming out of their heart. And so how do we become holy? Well, we got to do these things. Okay, so, so Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And then he explains to his disciples and is starting to shift this paris, paradigm of that it's not about like just adhering to rules, but it's about like your heart posture before the Lord. Like you can check these boxes off, but still not have the right heart before the Lord. <clears throat> and now we're going to see that he's actually going to start ministering to Gentiles. It's just so interesting that this happens right at this moment. So Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon. So if you guys remember that map, he went up to the northwest of, of that area. This is Gentile land. And he entered into a house, and he, would have, and he would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So man, Jesus needed some peace and quiet, but it wasn't going to happen. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she brought him, besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But when Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Okay, so this is kind of a weird passage. And uh, when I read this, this is like one of those passages where Jesus kind of seems like maybe a little cold hearted towards this woman. Uh, she's asking for help. And he's not just like, if you read the Matthew account in, in Matthew 15, she's actually calling out and it says that like Jesus didn't say anything. So then his disciples come up to him and they're like, get this lady out of here, man. She's just like, she's screaming. She's a distraction, right? It's like their, their, their retreat was getting disrupted. And then Jesus starts saying that his ministry priority, what the Lord sent him to do is to, to focus on the house of Israel, okay? So he's kind of anchoring that like, hey, the Lord has sent me on a mission for Israel, okay? Jesus came, he's ministering to Israel. His priority is not necessarily to be ministering um, to the Gentiles. But then they have this interaction and Jesus said, let the children first be filled. So he's talking about the children of Israel, okay? Let, the, let them be filled and then he's, he says, like, it's not, it's, it's not meat. It's not helpful to, you know, take the children's bread and to cast it onto dogs. Man. And that's how the, Gen, uh, the, the Jews saw the Gentiles and the Samaritans was kind of this, like, like this repulsive, un, uh, like, abomination, this dog, this, this, you know, dogs, they do things that, it's like, Kind of untouchable, right? When you study out the, the Greek of this word dog, uh, it's interesting because dogs used a number of times in Scripture, 
But in this case, it's actually uh, talking about like a little dog, maybe a puppy. Um, And I don't want to read too much into that, but uh, (laughs) for for pun's sake, uh, it's kind of like Jesus is throwing her a bone uh, in in a sense in in this. Sorry, I just uh, I just came up with that. Um, but, But it's like he didn't just dismiss her, but he put her in the context of a scenario you know, it's almost like he is talking in a parable. And instead of being like, oh, I guess, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Gentile and the, the, Lord's, the Lord's not going to be, you know, I guess he doesn't want to minister to us. Man, she presses in. Man, for her daughter's sake, she is going to grab the leg of the Lord and not let go until they get that blessing. It, it, it reminds me a lot of Jacob wrestling God. And, uh, and Jesus actually calls her faith great in, 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 in Matthew, in this account. And there's only, there's, there's, in Matthew, there's two times that Jesus like marvels at faith, and it's actually the faith of the Gentile centurion and this woman. So the point is, um, there is a seat at God's table for the Gentile. And at this moment, again, Jesus was talking about, hey, my priority is Israel. This is the table I'm sitting at. And, you know, down here, that's, there might be some scraps, you know. But, but we know that this is actually a foreshadowing of, of what's going to happen in the New Testament with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So this is what Jesus said um, he, he had told her, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Samuel Rutherford, um, who's like a theologian, uh, I think he's Scottish, he said this, uh, it is faith's, faith's work to claim and challenge loving kindness out of all the roughest strokes of God. And, uh, you know, there's a proverb about uh, God concealing a matter but the heart of the king is to like search it out. And, you know, sometimes I wonder like, why does God like, why isn't God just like more forthcoming? Like why, like why, you know, like why, why isn't it? He's just always straightforward and saying things plainly. Um, but I really do think that God responds to our heart and gives us these opportunities to grow and to show what's really inside of us in these moments. And for this woman, she had great faith. And this is actually a foreshadowing of Acts 10. Peter is going to have a vision. Now, this is post-resurrection. Jesus, or Peter's having a vision, and there's a sheet coming down from heaven with all the defiled animals of the Old Testament Levitical law. And the voice is saying, take and eat. And he's like, not so, Lord, not so. It's like he's kind of forgotten what is happening here in Mark 7. And, and just like back in his kind of like Levitical mindset. And, uh, but it's incredible that God uses his vision as a precursor because what's going to happen is Cornelius of Caesarea, he's a Gentile, is going to call for Peter and when Peter comes and meets him and is preaching, 
these Gentiles receive the Holy Ghost. They get saved, and it's this confirmation to them that the Holy Ghost and salvation and the church is not just for the, the believing Jew, the Jew that believes on Jesus Christ, but it's also for the Gentile that believes on Christ. And so what we see here again is there is a seat at God's table for the Gentile that believes. And uh, Galatians 3 says this, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And we're going to close with this, the Gentile healing. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee. So, so here he like went from the northwest of that map all the way down to like past Galilee to Decapolis. Verse 32, And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impotent of his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he, Jesus, charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And this is the point I want to leave you with. Jesus can open your ears and loosen your tongue. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So hear his word. And man, preach his word. I believe the Lord wants to loose our tongues. That we might share the gospel and that others may give glory to him. So... Um, you know, I, just to bring this back to the current events, um, you know, God has a special plan for Israel. If you want to do a further study and get a better understanding of how God has grafted the Gentiles into the church, um, but has a future plan for Israel, uh, read Romans 11 this week. Um, and, and Paul actually says, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of this thing, okay? Uh, that there's a time for the Gentiles, but then all Israel shall be saved, okay? But I do know this, that right now, every Jew that gets killed, every Gentile that gets killed, is, is a lost soul that hasn't called on the name Jesus Christ. And there's, there's a seat at God's table for both of them. So please be praying for that. And as you get opportunity to talk to friends, to family about current events, man, that's a hopeless situation. And really, Jesus Christ is the answer. So um, let me just pray. Lord, um, just thank you, God. Uh, most of us come from a Gentile background. Thank you for saving us. Um, thank you for healing us and giving us a seat at the table. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would bring peace and that your gospel uh, would go forth in the Middle East um, and that you would uh, save uh, many 
through uh, this turmoil. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. Uh, Pastor Dan Renault from Living Faith Lee Summit is preaching main service. So uh, don't skip out on that. He's amazing. God bless. There you go. Dave Renault has always warned me about him.